0: Well, here we are again. It's another weekend of not being able to assemble, but we are going to study God's Word together. We're going to issue our discussion questions, which I which I hope will be the fuel for you to get into a small group on your Zoom software and be able to interact. And uh, we're doing our best to provide material given the circumstances. And I hope today to bring you a sermon a message that is um, appropriate for the things that we're facing. But before we get started, I want to pray together. I think we need that. Uh, we miss that kind of uh, corporate prayer time. I know it's all through video here, but uh, let's pray. Let's pray about uh, what we're going to study here. Let's pray. Let me pray for you. And uh, so let's all of us bow our heads and um, let's talk to God for a second. Pray with me. God, we know this is a trying time and uh, we pray for our government. We pray for our leaders that are in positions of power. We pray for the decisions that are being made as we start to look toward reopening uh, the country and getting through this lockdown, this sequestering, this uh, quarantine that we've been in. Uh, We pray, God, that you would give us uh, grace and uh, wisdom, particularly as leaders in our church, as we make decisions that will affect our whole church. Give us uh, what we need to be prudent and thoughtful and wise. Uh, God, I thank you for our team, and I know our church family that's watching this right now on video and praying with me, they they must appreciate our our staff and our pastors, and I just want to take a minute to say thank you for them. They have been uh, such an encouragement to me. I know they're such hard workers here in our church, and I pray that you would uh, just continue to, to bless them by having their gifts be utilized in the best possible way to affect the kind of uh, shepherding and counsel and comfort and encouragement that we all need through this time. So God, as we get kind of past the midsection, I would hope of what we've been through here as a unique once-in-a-lifetime experience for us, I hope it's once-in-a-lifetime. I pray that you would give us uh, unity as we're going to talk about here today, and uh, just that you'd be good to our church. God, I've been praying, our team has been praying, our pastors have been praying for the health. You've heard us often asking uh, for protection in that regard. Uh, And as I've mentioned uh, on these weekend sermons before, I know that we Uh, clearly understand that the scripture does not promise us in our age. You do not tell us that we are going to be exempt from pain or suffering or deprivation or unemployment or uh, being in need, but you've taught us the secret of contentment, whether we have a lot or a little. As Paul said, we want to uh, know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do your will, no matter what our external circumstances. But uh, God, we do pray as we're taught in scripture just to reflexively pray for the things that uh, are pressing upon us right now, which are um, issues of health. We want health. We want to stay protected, which you've been so good to do that um, in our church for the most part. And and, um, keeping us from this with thousands and thousands of people that are on our rolls to be protected the way we have is remarkable. So we want to say thank you for that. And we do want to pray, God, for our um, finances. Uh, We want to pray that um, you would continue to to support us as families and individuals. And of course, as a church, God, we I just pray that you would meet our financial needs. And uh, I pray you'd keep us um, employed. I know some have lost their jobs, but I pray, God, that you would continue even through the assistance that is available uh, through the government and the things that we um, just pray for naturally that w- would, would happen. And that is that people would get, find employment and that there'd be creativity and, um, an industrious spirit, spirit, and uh, there would be hard work that is expended in our uh, congregation uh, to work, even if it need be, with our hands, as it says the Apostle Paul did, building tents to uh, make sure that he uh, was providing for himself. So God, I, I pray that we would see your provision in those areas without um, falling into the error of uh, expecting that or feeling entitled. We're certainly not entitled to anything but your wrath and your justice, which would send us out of your presence and into eternal darkness. But we do pray, God, for um, health and prosperity uh, financially. Those things um, we pray for, even though, um, God, we know that at times we uh, will have to cut back and do without, and we will be sick, and eventually we will all uh, meet the end of this life. But, uh, God, you you know our hearts. We are willing to do your will, even as um, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at least their Babylonian names, uh, as they Said Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that um, we know that you're capable of taking us through the fire, and uh, even as they said confidently, and, and they believed that uh, you would take them through that fire, and we believe you're going to take us through this. But even if you don't, and you choose not to protect us, uh, and if our whole church comes down with uh, a debilitating disease and we die, uh, whether we all lose our jobs and we're uh, penniless in this world, we trust you no matter what. As Habakkuk three says, we will praise you regardless of what our circumstances are. But we do pray for those things as we should, and we pray your will would be done um, and that you would give us hope and strength through this time. Thanks for this chance to stop and pray as a church family, albeit through the means of the Internet. Um, we do ask that you would uh, unify us as a church as we study this passage together in Jesus' name. Amen. I think uh, the challenges that we face in this time... Um, have strained many areas of our Christian life. But the area that I think we are in need of um, having God deal with for us is um, what I prayed twice in that prayer, and that is for us to to be unified. And don't get me wrong, I've not seen um, any fissures or or cracks in our church. Our church has done phenomenally, and I'm so proud to, um, as Paul was of the Thessalonians, just to to be... um, thinking and praying of you, for you, thinking of you and praying for you, and just rejoicing at how good you are, um, uh, you know, relatively speaking in terms of human beings and Christians in this world. You have been um, just a phenomenal church, and to pastor you through this has been um, a joy of mine. Um, and yet I know the challenge is going to be, and the stressors are going to cause us as we move from the upslope of this to the downslope and and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel the challenge is going to be for us to deal with our differences in a godly way. Um there're plenty of differences even now opinions uh, about the shutdown uh and there will be plenty of differences of opinion as it relates to um kind of resuming everything the resumption of our our lives and how that goes about as the government officials have said this is not going to be a light switch that switches on it's going to be a dimmer of some kind that Ramps us back up into something, and I just know that that uh, is going to cause a lot. Just the environment of that is going to cause a lot of, of um, at least temptations for us to be um, divisive, to be uh, such have such different and such strong differing opinions that we um, we don't have the unity that would please the Lord. So I want to safeguard that, and I want to anticipate that as your pastor, and say let's um, let's make sure we handle this properly. So last week I think I had eight points, or the week before last, before Easter, I, I had an eight-point sermon, and so I thought I would top that this week, and uh, we have a nine-point sermon today, believe it or not, so just three or four hours is all I need here today, um, not true, uh, we'll get through this quickly, but I want you to turn in your Bible, so grab your Bibles, your devices, your iPads, your phones, and I want you to look up uh, Romans chapter 14, and as you're turning there and calling that up, let me remind you that the book of Romans is written to... Um, a church that had both Jews and Gentiles. They're all converts, but uh, uh, followers of Christ, at least, you know, professing Christians. But the um, Jewish and Gentile believers, those with a Jewish background and those of a Gentile background, of course, in way out West in, in Rome, um, there were going to be conflicts about a lot of things. I mean, if you think about Rome, I mean, Rome kind of liked um, a lot of things about Judaism and it seemed to be a stable Religion, in many ways, I mean, there were things that they didn't like, a lot of hostility, but um, there was several things that, um, at least, the Romans would keep the the Jewish people um, in their enclave. I mean, they would be a group of people that that. Um, I mean, they just they didn't see they they weren't homogenous, they weren't integrated into society in every way. They uh, kind of kept to them themselves, but you can imagine that Christ comes along and um, transforms, forms hearts, both Jew and Gentile, and puts them into one church, there's going to be conflict. And uh, there's so many things that are biblical that we've got to agree on, the Lordship of Christ, uh, how we are saved, um, you know, worship, uh, how we uh, obey Christ in terms of, of of caring for one another, loving each other, uh, you know, prohibitions against stealing, all the things that, I mean, the, the Bible, these are black and white issues. There's going to be a lot of as we like to say in the Christian life, gray areas. I saw someone write me today about, uh, you know, there are no gray areas. Um, What I mean by gray areas, I'm just using the the modern verbiage for the fact that there are things that the Bible doesn't specifically address and principles don't drive us to one specific answer. And uh, again, the guy who wrote me that, I I don't think, I mean, he could look at the one Greek word in this passage and see that that's the whole point of the passage is that there are Things of about which we're going to have differences of opinion. And when I think about this COVID-19 uh, resumption of life, as we kind of ramp into this and everyone's going to have a different opinion about that, uh, we want to um, have harmony and peace in the church, even though there's differences of opinion. So um, and, and I, I, in my preaching classes, sometimes I'll sit down in uh, my preaching classes when I'm teaching preachers, and uh, I'll talk about this passage in Romans 14 because I'll say here is a passage of Scripture where unless you are a um, a real preacher, not just a um, a commentary writer, um, the difference between exegesis, uh, you know, drawing out the meaning of a passage, and then exposition, explaining that passage to your audience. Well, me explaining the passage to an audience, which is the preacher's job. And calling them to respond rightly to it, to apply it—that's um, a very different thing than just getting your, you know, your Greek. New Testaments out and understanding the history and the context and just being able to codify or write down into a commentary, uh, here's what the passage means, because um, what it means in that context is something we as a modern church will really not ever experience, at least not in America, not in Southern California, not in Orange County, not at Compass Bible Church. So you cannot preach this passage in Romans chapter 14, uh, kind of as it sits there on the page. Uh, because the conflicts had to do with dietary laws, uh, a conscience uh, within the Jewish faction, and I hate to use that word, uh, the Jewish contingency of the uh, Roman Christian church. Um, They had a conscience that was conditioned that uh, they would never eat non-kosher food, that they wouldn't eat bacon, they wouldn't eat ham, they wouldn't eat, um, you know, all the things in the Levitical law that gave them a dietary restriction. And... um, their conscience was was uh, conditioned in that way, and now in Christ, of course, as Mark seven says, as um, uh, clearly in, in Acts chapter ten, um, all foods now were declared clean, which is a lot of what Hebrews reminds us of, and Colossians chapter two, and um, even the book of Galatians, the idea of circumcision and and the ceremony, along with the dietary restrictions, all of these things were. Um, the conditioning of the people in that church and um then there are romans that had none of that i mean they loved the blts and the you know bacon on their uh, on their omelets i'm just of course uh, updating that but the idea is they didn't have those dietary restrictions well that was one issue in this passage and the other issue was uh days special days um, the observances of you know the new moon festivals uh in judaism and the, the feast days and uh, I mean, think about it: Yom Kippur and Passover and the Sabbath day every week on Saturday. Well, they were conditioned in that regard too. So here was a church where they were all under the lordship of Christ. There were no dietary restrictions anymore, and there were no uh, holy days that were uh, sanctioned or, or or given as a command. So um, how are you? How are the? How's that going to work in the church? Um, I guess you just let the Romans, uh, Roman Christians with a non-Jewish background. Uh, you know they're right, and the Jews are wrong. Well, that's the way you could view it if you stumbled over eating you know non kosher food and you really struggled with the fact that you didn't uh, at least stop and observe a day like the Passover and you think about the fact that it's the fulfillment uh, in founding Christ. I mean these are the kinds of things that um, um, are in this passage. And it's a long discussion to get to the fact that uh, when I'm teaching preachers how to preach about passages like this, um, I tell them, no one in your church struggles with that. That's not the problem. So you have to update this. And some may struggle even today with why I'm trying to preach this passage about uh, COVID-19 um, shelter-in-place rules that are going to change. Well, uh, because we're dealing with disputable matters, which is what this is all about. Uh, the way it's translated here in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 is uh, opinions. Uh, now remember, you can't make... Um, you can 't throw something in the category of opinion if it 's like "Do not murder right or don 't steal or, or don 't use the lord 's name in vain those are those are clear commands of scripture so we 're talking about things that are not specifically addressed as moral laws um, and yet there are conscience problems and there are conscience problems even now in the middle of this uh, uh sequestering this shelter in place this stay at home kind of thing you got people their signs out on their lawn and people yelling at each other because they 're you know at the park or whatever. Uh, and then we hear the news story about people arrested at the beach by themselves, or, you know, there's protests in cities about, you know, stop this lockdown. You have all of this difference of opinion. And I think this passage is a decent passage, a good passage for us to look at and to apply it to what we're dealing with. So uh, world's longest introduction there, but um, let's run through this passage. First, let me just read the whole thing for you. So follow along about 35 minutes ago. I told you to get your device out so we would read this, but here it comes. Ready? Romans chapter 14, we'll read through verse 19. We could go on, of course, through the whole chapter, but let's start um, with just that section, which is enough. Number one, verse one. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, not, but not to quarrel over opinions. Um, one believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And I should say, even in Corinth, they had the problem of meat that was sacrificed to idols. And that clearly was part as well of this. I've oversimplified it in saying it's just the dietary restrictions of a conscience problem in the past. They certainly had the same problem they had in Corinth, which um, was meat that was sold in the meat market that um, was at one point, uh, at least ceremonially, offered to a god or an idol. Um, So that was part of it as well, only vegetables, which, of course, the kosher laws wasn't that you had to eat only vegetables. Uh, So we can see it extending into that. Um, Who are you, it says, to um, pass judgment, verse 4, on the servant of another? That reminds us of talking about Christians here that are disagreeing within the church. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person, verse 5, esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all, um, for we all, for we will all, rather, sorry, Stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament here, Isaiah 45. As I live, says the Lord, every knee, I'm sorry, yes, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And you're saying, I remember that from the New Testament. That's because uh, Paul quotes that as well. You'll remember in um, Philippians chapter two. So then, conclusion, verse 12. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died and do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In other words, you know, if you do that thing, you flaunt that thing. They're going to say it's it's wrong, and wow! So don't do it. That's the context here. Uh, verse seventeen: For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse eighteen: Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. They serve Christ with that mentality and is approved by men. If you do it the way he's saying here, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual. Edification or mutual upbuilding, as it's awkwardly translated there. Um, I hope even reading that, I mean, it's the word of God, right? I mean, I hope it's convicted you. Here's God that made you, the God who made you. He's put into print something that you know historically. If you stay in the Bible study notes, you can think historically and kind of keep your distance from this text. But if you're thinking even now about like these health guidelines, right? Notice so many of these things that have come out are our guidelines and recommendations uh you know whether it's a mask at uh, target or walmart or you know um, whatever it is that you do, the, the the things that they have recommended that we do you can see that someone can say well i think you should do it no i don't think you should do it you've got this differing of opinion now when we think about getting back to normalcy i call it resumption when we resume our Normal life, or at least try to move toward that, you can see where this is going to be a challenge for us. so nine quick observations um, that I want to make in this passage that uh, I hope will help us through this so that we can maintain the unity that we ought to have uh, as a church as hard as that may be with differing opinions but we 're going to do it we 're going to do it to the glory of God, and I want to talk through those things so first of all, number one, which I guess is part of what i 've already introduced here and that is that uh, as it says for the one uh, as for the one weak in faith welcome him but don't quarrel uh, over opinions so i just want to remind us there will be debatable issues right um there's a million of them as it relates to this situation we're in even down to believing or who to believe right depending on what news source you're reading or you know statistics and uh you know do, how many people have really died from this and what about the stats of people that, you know, would have been reported as pneumonia or whatever now reported as COVID-19. And what about the money that certain cities get? And just, it's just endless. Is it not the things that, um, you can say, well, I believe this, or I believe that. And I think this, and I think that, and, you know, should we rush back to normalcy? Should we have, you know, small groups meeting? Uh, you know, what about this lawsuit that's, uh, it was in the news recently about, um, churches suing the state of California over not being able to assemble. What about the constitution? What about our rights? What about the fact that you can't make law up, uh, just by decreeing it as a governor or a county health official? Um, these are the kinds of things that are going to be debated within the church. And we're going to have across the spectrum at a church our size, for sure. I guess all you need is a church of three to have a, you know, a church of desperate opinions, uh, and and so we got a lot of different opinions. And so what we're gonna have to do is to just acknowledge, first of all, and I guess if you're taking notes, and that there will be debated issues. There are gonna be debatable issues. There are going to be things as it says, drop down to verse five. If you're taking real copious notes, you'll see this is verse two and verse five. Verse two, the one who believes he can eat anything and the weak person thinks he can only eat vegetables. Somebody thinks they gotta wear a mask, someone thinks they you know you don't. Um just to use one example, as controversial as that may be, just even saying it out loud. Verse 5, one may esteem one day is better than another, while everyone esteems all days alike. There are so many things that we need to know are going to come our way that are debatable. Not to mention the things I would preach normally if we were in the middle of this crisis about, you know, a million different things. Uh, You know, uh drinking alcohol or in the old days, dancing, going to movies. There's just a million things that relate to... um Issues of conscience, right? Homeschooling, public schooling. Everyone's got strong opinions about a lot of things, but just let's stick with our topic here that we are dealing with, uh, in our day. So, what's our point? Well, the point of the passage is, let's just jot it down this way, verses one and three. We've looked at verses two and five to remind us there's always going to be debatable issues. Um, verse one and three reminds us that we're going to always have to, um, para lombano. We're always going to have to, um, Welcome and embrace each other. Um, we ought to accept one another. And that's the way it's translated sometimes. Accept or to welcome or as this passage, or uh, oh, it says welcome here, um, to receive, um, to bring in that Paralambano is sometimes translated to take, um, to take into your counsel, to take inside, to, to choose to unify with. So you're going to have someone's got a weak conscience. And by that, in this context, it was someone who, Just, I don't think I should eat any meat that's been in the meat market and sacrificed to an idol in some ceremony. Or, you know, I really think we should stop and have a special service on the Passover or what have you. Um, That, or the Sabbath day, Um, that is something we should not, as it says, quarrel over and we ought to welcome them. We ought to have um, unity In our church, look at verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has, this is great, God has brought them in. So I put it this way. Number two, don't disrupt our unity. No matter what your differences of opinions are, we are not going to disrupt our unity. We can have different opinions about how we should even ramp back up to normalcy, how we should get back to kind of reinstituting and and, and restarting life um, but we have to stay unified in this. Um, don't disrupt our, our unity. We are to welcome one another and we are not to quarrel about this um, because the Bible says God's welcomed us. You can be a Christian and have this view about the restart and you can have you can be a Christian and have this view. And the Bible says s- just stop dividing over this. We can't be split up. We can't f- factionalize. We can't fall into uh, the kinds of things I see a lot of people fall into. This is not going to split us up. This is not going to break us up. This is not going to um, have us say, well, you're of that camp. I'm of this camp, like Corinth, over a lot of things. The Bible says when you're doing that, you may be doing it with godly motives, quote unquote, um, like they did about I'm of Paul, I'm I'm of Apollos. But um, he says you're acting like the world, he uses the word "you're you're you're acting like mere men, fleshly. You're um, you're just acting like non Christians, even just with Christian topics. And a lot of people, well, we always add our Christian spin on a lot of things we have to deal with as it relates to this COVID nineteen thing as well. I've read, obviously. Um, so we're not going to disrupt our unity. Okay, we're going to be going to have debatable issues right here in this context of our lives in this season. It's not going to disrupt our unity. That's what our commitment should be. Uh, look at verse 4. It says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Um, he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand and say, hey, I, I approve of you. It's it, That's what each person, they're accountable to God. And then again, these verses are split up, but look at verse 4 now and now drop down to verses 10 and 11 and 12, it says, why do you pass judgment on another, on, on, on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. He quotes Isaiah forty five twenty three, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you must give an account of himself to God. I put it this way. Number three, you need to remember all, all of us answer to God. We answer directly to God at the end of our lives. Now, will you answer to your boss? Yes. Will you answer to the authorities in your life? Well, sure. Will you answer even to your pastor in some cases? Yeah. There's there's obviously um, structures of leaders in your life, but the ultimate answering is the judgment seat of Christ. You will come before Christ and you will have to answer. And so when we stand and say, well, you're wrong, therefore I reject you, I reject your group, I reject that thinking, well, you may reject it for yourself, but you can't reject the, those people, right? We're not talking again about issues that God has clearly spoken to. As fancy as some people are with their verbal footwork to try and say, well, this is what God says. I, you know, Most of the differences we're gonna have about this whole thing in moving back toward getting to normal, uh, they're not going to be things that you're going to point to in scripture as black and white. These are going to be issues of opinion. They're going to be issues of, um, your view, your statistics. And so we just all need to remember at the end of life, we're all going to stand before God. We're not going to stand before each other. And, uh, that's a helpful thing for me. And of course it was obviously a helpful thing for them after taking notes, jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It reminds us, as this passage should be clear, the context is the church. It's all people, even Christians, will stand before Christ. And We get the word bima from the Greek word uh, that is translated here, the judgment seat. It was the raised platform where someone would come before a magistrate and uh, and he would adjudicate between two people. And it says in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, of course, all condemnation has been paid for in Christ, but we're going to have to answer to God for our decisions and even our judgments about things. And so we want to be really careful. We understand we can possess those opinions and we can hold firmly to those opinions in our own lives, but we cannot in the disputable matters, be able to say, well, I stand in judgment of you. I may disagree with you, uh, as a Christian, but I, I, I'm not going to be able to take the position of judge because Christ is going to be our judge at the end of time. So remember everyone answers to God, um, verse five, um, actually I want you to get to the bottom of verse five because it really goes with verse six. I think each one of you look at the bottom of verse five. Do you, do you see that there? Um, Romans 14, bottom of verse 5. Each, each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. He's not saying check out and don't have a, an opinion. Um, the one who observes the day, here's the way you ought to be convinced, observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, you're going to eat that meat? Well, great. Eat it in honor of the Lord. Since you're stopping before you eat it even and showing that you love God and you're giving thanks to God. While the one who abstains is, I'm not going to do that. That's, I don't want to do that. That violates my conscience. Well, great you're abstaining and honor the Lord because you don't want to do anything that you think the Lord is going to be displeased. And you give thanks to God. Um, so here's how I put it. Number four, we need to be intentional about honoring God with our convictions. Uh, your conviction regarding whatever it is, a mask, no mask, uh, barking your dog through the park, whatever, it, I don't know. There's a, I'm trying to be careful with the example so I don't inflame people right now. But the idea of you coming to a conviction is fine. I just want that conviction to be that I'm trying to honor God with that. Uh, and again, that can start to get you to think about, I got to get everyone else to honor God the way I'm honoring God. As it comes as it comes down to the debatable issues, to the, the gray areas, we often call them, um, we don't want to worry about them yet. We want to worry about ourselves and say, I'm going to honor God in this. So can I honor God by doing this, by not doing this, by you know, being involved in this by not being involved in this, I'm going to think about that as my goal. Can I honor God in this? Can I give thanks to God, which is the thing that's stated here directly. God, I thank you that I'm keeping this or that I'm not doing this, or I thank you, God, that we're going to meet, uh, you know, and maybe some people aren't going to meet or we're going to have church and I'm going to go to church, even though some churches aren't going to meet at this particular time. I'm just thinking ahead and, and extrapolating where we're Probably are we going to be, right? Think about it, right? The things that we're going to have happen on the schedule, they're going to happen. Not everyone is going to agree with that schedule. So uh, when we do, we do it in honor of the Lord and we don't factionalize. We don't split up. We don't cause division. Um, we're not disrupting our unity. So be intentional, whatever your decisions are for you to be those that we can honor and thank God for. Uh, verse 7. For none of us, great principle here, lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Um, That's not the reality, though sometimes people think that way. (laughs) They think they do live for themselves. They think it's all about themselves. They think they are the center of the universe and the judge and jury of everything. It's all about them and their thinking is perfect on everything. We don't say it that way, and that's an overstatement, just trying to make sure you can see what I'm talking about. But jot it down this way, number five, we should never be prideful or selfish in our decisions, we should never be prideful or selfish, period, I guess. But you can say in our decisions, I don't want my decision or my conviction or what I'm confirming in my own mind. Um, I don't want those things to, or convinced in your own mind, as it says in verse five, I don't want those things um, to be things where I think it's just all about me because it's not all about you. First of all, the most primary person about is about, it's about God. And secondly, we're going to see in this passage, is all about the effect I'm having on other people. So, uh, we should see that clearly. It's not like, um, sadly in the book of judges, you remember that passage in, um, judges chapter 21, uh, verse 25, it said there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, that's an indictment against the whole society that, um, sadly, um, just thought they lived to themselves and they died to themselves. Um, and that's not true. And it's the perfect definition of sin, isn't it? Uh, we like sheep, uh, Isaiah 53, I think it's verse six. Uh, we all like sheep have gone astray, quoted in, in Romans three. Uh, each of us has turned to his own way. That kind of living just for me thinking about my stuff, I'm going to follow my nose and do what I want. Um, we just can't think that way because ultimately we live to the Lord And not just the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, but we live to his body in many ways. Um, We affect them. We impact him. Uh, I wish I could say more about this uh, phrase. But we we live to him. We live for his glory. We die for him, to his glory. Um, Paul talked about that. If I had time, I'd take you to Philippians chapter 1. Yeah. Verse 7. I'm just going to... leave it with the idea of let's just not be prideful or selfish in our decisions. Um, Living to the Lord, dying to the Lord, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That's being intentional about honoring God. That's the fourth point. So fifth point, never be prideful or selfish. Number six, um, verse nine. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That we, he's getting really poetic here with the, um, parallelism here. For, for this in Christ died and he lived again, he rose again. That we might be, um, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Um, poetic way to stack this on top of each other to talk about the fact that we are um, to live and die to God. And whether we live or die, we die and live under the Lordship of Christ. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that Paul often talked about death and Peter did too, being the category of those that are lost. He is the Lord and the King of the lost. He's the Lord and the King of the saved. And we are to think in terms of that, um, just like he is in charge and every non-Christian in our society is going to answer to God and we're going to answer to God. We answer to God because he is our creator, just like, you know, the governor of New York is going to answer to God, the uh, governor of of, of, um, of uh California. I'm trying to think of what state I live in, California. Uh, Garcetti in L.A. is going to answer to God. Um, we would all answer to God if we were non-Christians, and we're all going to answer to God because we are Christians. Um, we're doubly indebted to God as he's our Lord and, and, and Father and King just by virtue of us being in the world, by virtue of him being our creator. And he's Lord and, and Judge and King over our lives by virtue of him being our Redeemer. So um, we need to think in terms of our indebtedness to him. I put it this way, number six. We need to live as a as a slave of God. We need to live as God's slave. We're God's slave. We're God's servant. We're owned by Him. Therefore, all of my decisions um, I need to think of in terms of um, of God. I live in light of God as His as His servant. He died and rose so that I could be His. No matter what state I'm in, as alive or dead, or no matter if I were a non-Christian or worse than that in terms of responsibility and obligation, I am a Christian. I have uh accountability to god romans six twenty two uh, reminds us that my freedom from sin being set free from sin is not so that I can just do whatever I want. I'm set free from doing whatever I want as a sheep that goes and and does whatever I want It turns my own way each to um, all of us like sheep have gone astray we've turned each of us to our own way, but it says in that passage that um, the whole point of being freed from that Condemnation of being kind of out there following my nose is to be a slave of God. That's how it's put. Um, but now that you have been set free from sin, you become a slave of God, and the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and in the end, it's eternal life. So I'm living indebted to God. This is getting long. Let's hurry along here. Uh, verse 13. We've dealt with verses uh, 10 through 12. We've got to give an account. God, I don't have a right to pass judgment. Look at verse 13. Therefore, be very clear, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us decide, here's the focus now, not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So I'm going to think about my decisions, the vocalness that I have about my decisions, the way I talk about my decisions, the way I deal with my convictions. I I want to make sure that I don't put a stumbling block. Um, And again, that's an analogy. And I I think that's worth even putting in the point, but I want you to understand what it means. I put it this way. Don't let your decisions trip others up. And there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, uh, sometimes we curtail our decisions and sometimes we just keep our decisions to ourselves. If we had more time, we'd go on past verse 19 to just the point of that. We, you know, sometimes we just, we, we gotta worry about doing it to the honor of God in our own lives and our own decisions. And then, uh, I'm just not going to trip other people up with my conviction this, in this regard. So I'm focusing on the good of others. I'm thinking about my convictions in light of how it affects others. And I'm not going to uh, flaunt my decisions. I'm not going to flaunt my convictions, um, knowing it's going to really damage those who have a different opinion. It's going to sometimes trip people up. It's going to be a source of contention. It's going to cause arguments and fights. And so I'm not going to sit there and condemn you, pass judgment on you for your conviction regarding this thing that you could go either way on. And I'm going to make sure that I don't put any kind of hindrance in your way. Uh, I focus on your good, not my rights is a good way to put it. I focus on your good, not my rights. Um, you might want to jot down next to that first Corinthians chapter eight. Um, that makes clear that, um, I'm willing to not flaunt any of my, uh, 1 Corinthians eight thirteen any of my rights, which I guess is the same thing we see here, um, but it's so, it puts so powerfully there, verse 13, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again, uh, lest I make my brother stumble. I don't want to trip him up. Uh, and that's really the essence of love as we're not going to get a chance to focus on, I mean, we'll touch on it here in the next verse and next section in verse 15, but um, I'm willing to curtail things in my life and i'm willing to not um even broadcast things in my life which again with the facebook era we live in you know people can't wait to get a conviction and they blast it out there um and they they want to you know put a billboard up that this is their conviction now um a lot of pride in that often there's a lot of arrogance and selfishness in that and there's a lot of you know um, disregard for not putting a stumbling block in front of their brother. Um, my love for my brother should be like Christ's love, and that is a willingness to lay down my life for someone. First John 3.16 just um, such a critical concept uh, in Scripture. More could be said. Uh, verse 14, actually verses 14, 15, and 16. I know that, and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, of course, unless it's clearly unclean, right, and, and unbiblical. Um, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So even if we've got a situation, someone recommends something, you do it, or someone recommends something, you choose not to do it. Um, you've got to um, realize that, you know, if I think it's wrong to not do what someone recommends, then it's going to be wrong for you. Your conscience is going to be bothered. Uh, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Uh, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Um, That means I'm not going to then take something I think is good for me to do, to exercise my liberty or my freedom, to disregard you know, some recommendation, for instance. Um, I'm not going to allow that to be something that you stumble over and then say, oh, that's a terrible thing. I'm going to be really careful about that. I'm going to be willing to... Uh, lay down my rights to flaunt my liberty so that I can love you instead. I'm not going to fight with you. Now, I wrote it down this way. may, may not be the best way to capture the idea of love here because I inverted it as a prohibition, but I put it down this way. Number eight, don't complain about those who disagree. And the invert of that, which now that I say it, I think it could even be stronger. The idea of you know, I want to love others enough to not complain, to not flaunt. Um, I don't want to grumble about people that have a different uh, conviction than mine. And there's a lot of that that I'm afraid of—the biting and devouring of one another. Galatians 5:15. Uh, the grumbling and complaining in the wilderness, which is a good example of this. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 12. First Corinthians 10:9 through 12. Paul talks about the grumbling and complaining. They're grumbling all the time about the decisions. Uh, that were being made by the leaders they were grumbling i'm sure i can only imagine with each other we see a little bit of that even when they're complaining about you know where's moses and and aaron down there and the whole golden calf scene there's just all that conflict um and and i'm saying we can't be like that as a matter of fact that passage is a really strong passage and it says god judged them because they grumbled and he says those things were written down for us as an example to us on whom the end of the ages is coming. We have such an important role as Christians in this era as filled with the spirit. Uh, Christians, God's spirit, uh, resides in us in the end of the ages here. So we're not going to act like they did in the wilderness, uh, grumbling and complaining and biting and devouring one another. Um, instead, um, I'm not going to, I'm going to love instead of complain. I guess that's maybe a better way to even put it. Um, and number nine, uh, Wow, nine points—that's a lot. Verses 17 through 19. Look at how this section ends. We could move on, but there's just three great verses here. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And think about that. The kingdom of God is not about masks. It's not about when we meet together. It's not about how many people in a small group. Uh, it's not about a lot of the things that we are going to debate. It's not about vaccines. It's not about um, you know what we should and shouldn't do and sheltering. It's not about timelines. It's not about any of that. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Just like for them, it wasn't about the kosher food and the, you know, the, the, the holy days of the old covenant that you want to celebrate or want to disregard. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, isn't that what we want? Think about it. I want us to be righteous and righteousness is not constituted in the minutia of all of this stuff that we're dealing with. Um, and we want peace. And we want peace in the church of God. And we want joy. We want to be joyful, whether you're coming back on day one or whether you're not. Um, we want to be joyful. We're going to move toward you know, being who God wants us to be, assembling in person. But in the process of getting back to all that, I, I want righteousness, peace, and joy. Whoever thus serves Christ, if you're doing this all for the love of God, you're refraining even from fighting about this for the love of God and honoring God, If you're focused on righteousness, peace, and joy and not just debating all the debatable issues, um, then you're acceptable to God. And guess what? You can be approved by men back and forth. We're going to be able to get along a lot better. So then let us pursue the whole point of this is what makes for peace and for mutual edification, building up of one another. I put it this way. Number nine, consider the joy of a unified church. Consider how great that would be. If we get through all of this, even on how you dealt with the rules during the the, the shutdown, the lockdown, and how you deal with us moving back to where we are going to be, and we do this right, and we do this as a unified church, how joyful, how great would that be um, that we look back on this and say, we dealt with this well. This church did a good job um, getting through this and a great job focusing on what was important, getting back uh, as we we kind of repair the... Um, you know, the schedule, if you will. What did I call it at the outset? The resumption of of things. Um, How good that is. And let me just read a passage for you. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. Uh, Think about it. There's any encouragement in Christ. Of course there is. Any comfort from love. Yeah, there's a ton. If there's any participation, koinonia, in the spirit, any fellowship in the spirit. If there's any affection and sympathy, well, of course there is, right? Well, then make my joy complete, he says in verse two, by being of the same mind and have the, same love and be in full accord and of one mind and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. That is a great summation of holding the carrot out and saying, look how great it would be. Look at the words, encouragement, comfort, love, fellowship, affection, sympathy. And Paul says, just make my joy complete by doing that, pursuing that. And that is the goal, right? To agree. Can't agree on the details of life, all the details of this sequestering, all the details of getting back, the resumption of our our schedule. But Paul says the church, as it relates to things like righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and us not stumbling each other and not throwing stuff in each other's face and not debating everything on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, um, he appeals to the Corinthian church. They got a lot of factionalism going on there, a lot of debating he says, I appeal to you, this is 1 Corinthians 1.10, I quote it all the time, I because i as a pastor, this is the kind of stuff we want. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority of Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Pray for me, pray for our church, because our leaders, our pastors, we're going to make decisions about the resumption of our church, and uh, not everyone's going to agree with those. Uh, go too slow for some, go too fast for others. Uh, pray for us to get through this you've done so well we can do so well um i'm proud of you so far let's keep this going and move uh, back to where we're gonna be normalcy i hope um with a good unified loving church okay let us pursue what let's let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building up of building let's pray god thanks for this uh long-winded discussion here about Romans 14, uh, do unify us I'm proud of our church. God, I want them to, uh, make me still more proud. And just to be able to look back that we can all look at each other and say, wow, we dealt with that crisis. Well, we want to do that. God, and I pray we would honor you in this and, uh, it would be so much better even than we uh, anticipate and certainly way better than we fear. We don't want any of this to cause any fissures and, 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 uh, factions in our church. We want us to be unified. I pray that we would be. Make it so among us. Even even let this Bible study, um, this look at uh, Romans 14, help to ensure that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.